Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 556 of the podcast and it is Tuesday the 8th of June 2021 as I record this. In today's show I'm talking to John Fox about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Why are they so exciting for authors and the publishing industry? How will they generate more streams of revenue for us as creators and what are some of the ways that authors could use them? So I did do a short introduction to NFTs in the blockchain for publishing episode 538, but this takes it a lot further as the technology is improving fast and uh, particularly on the environmental side, which I know people uh, are worried about. And big companies are getting involved, even as we recorded this, eBay announced that they would be getting into NFTs. I want you to think of it as just another format. And in the same way you embraced eBooks a decade ago, this will be the basis of a new way of selling our work. Now, the technology is moving very fast at the moment and people are doing new things all the time. I feel like it's a much more creative opportunity than just limited edition ebooks, which we do talk about. But um, that is the basis of it. It's a limited edition product, but uh, it can be so many different things. And the music industry is really blazing a trail and the art um the uh, visual art industry. It's all about direct-to-consumer, direct-to-fan, which again empowers the creator. In fact, Bloomberg had an article just uh, yesterday, as I record this, saying that NFTs shift power to artists. One of the musicians quoted said, if we can recreate the plumbing of the music industry, then all these middlemen have to compete with code. Blockchain technology will change how the music industry operates, specifically the layers of agents, lawyers and studio executives who all take a cut of what musicians earn. And I'm sure you can see the parallels. <laughs> There's another interesting quote in the article. The entertainment business model of $9.99 a month, all you can eat access to everything was focused on as the best way to move people off piracy. We are on the cusp of moving away from that. And I think this is particularly interesting because I probably 18 months ago I was talking to a friend and I was like I am worried about I'm excited about subscription models because I think they're really important but I'm worried that it will be the only option and what I said at the time was the the way to and what I still have been saying the way to deal with this is the um, cell direct the thousand tree fans the building a you know using the 999 model all-you-can-eat, uh, unlimited side to drive people into your funnel, your creator funnel. And then some people will stick around and many of you uh, will listen to the show for free. Um, and many of you are now support the show financially. You've bought my books. Maybe you've bought one of my courses. Um, you know, lots of ways to support creators, your patron. Uh, so lots of exciting ways to change a business model from just relying on that kind of subscription model to taking things into the arena of direct-to-fan, direct-to-consumer. 
And the publishing industry is a few years behind, obviously, but um, really embrace it. The publishing industry is now moving into the subscription model in so many ways. So these NFTs will be the next level. And uh, the article says it really comes down to artists have a choice now and they didn't before. The art is evolving because of the technology and the technology is going to be evolving because of the art. And that's where it gets really exciting. And that I hope you feel that excitement in this interview today. I also uh, have some ideas myself with what I might do with an NFT. I'm still deciding whether I want to wait. Um, I want to get on with the sort of creating with AI side and I've got an idea about doing an NFT uh, around that. So see what you think in the interview. But I might wait till October when it looks like there might be a platform for books. But I don't know whether that's even necessary because of the platforms that we talk about. So I'm kind of wavering. I'm not really sure. Um, Really trying to decide what to do myself. I'd love to hear your comments about what you think uh, on the the NFTs, um, what you might do for your own NFTs, what you think about some of our ideas. You can leave a comment on the episode at, if you go to thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast episode 556, or just go to the blog um, for the latest episode this week. Or you can email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com or tweet me at thecreativepen. I would love to know what you think, particularly on this episode it feels like the cusp of real change and we've been talking about blockchain but the sort of re-engineering as they mentioned the sort of changing the plumbing of publishing will take a long time but we don't have to wait that long we can get on with these kind of director fan ideas so yeah exciting times and I wanted to say a big thank you to my wonderful patrons on Patreon today's show is sponsored by you guys Uh, you essentially pay for my brain to think about these futurist topics and the time to do the interviews and edit and format these extras which don't have corporate sponsorship. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. And yeah, thank you so much. You can support with a few euros or pounds or US dollars or Canadian dollars and uh, you will get the extra Q&A audio which I will be doing I guess in the next couple of weeks and if you have questions about NFTs or blockchain or anything else you can always add them if you are a patron. Right let's get into the interview. John Fox is an award-winning short story writer and author of I Will Shout Your Name, a collection of his stories. He's also a developmental editor, course creator, and blogger. Welcome, John. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you today. But before we get into the topic of the show, uh, the technological side, I did want to ask you a bit more about you and your writing journey so people know where you're coming from. Yeah, I got a... a couple of graduate degrees in creative writing from New York University and then an MFA from USC. And way back in 2006, I started blogging. So I've been blogging for 15 years now at BookFox. And about five or six years ago, I decided to just monetize the blog and start selling courses, start doing editing, just start to become more of a resource for writers out there because they needing help. A lot of people need help. I get emails all the time saying like, how do I self-publish or how do I find an editor or how do I do this or that? So I just wanted to help the writing community through BookVox. 
And yeah, it's a, a gold mine. I spent quite a long time on your site, so we'll definitely direct people there a bit later. But I, I was interested because you're a literary writer yourself. You mentioned you have an MFA, you write short stories, and you focus a lot on the craft on your blog. So the writing craft is paramount, I think. But you recently wrote this article on NFTs that got my attention. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So why did you decide to write about NFTs and what are they anyway? I guess I look at BookFox as a pretty wide range of stuff. Yes, I focus mostly on craft issues for writers. But in a broader sense, I want to talk about anything that helps writers, helps them market their book, helps them write their book, helps them edit their book. And I feel like NFTs are going to help writers. It's going to change the landscape for how writers sell book and sell books and how writers monetize their books. So I just feel like I want to get ahead of that and, and give writers a heads up like, hey, this is coming. Watch out. And so let's define it then. So what, what are NFTs? So NFTs are basically digital ownership of, of a digital file. And that doesn't mean the digital file can't be shared widely, right? Say like if you collect, used to collect like baseball cards when you were a kid, that was a physical object, right? But nowadays, a lot of people live online. They value online things or digital things almost more than physical objects. It's this really strange like generational divide. And so NFTs are a way to sell digital objects. And you can prove using blockchain technology that you own that object. You own uh, number one of five of them, or you own number five of them, uh, number five of five of them. You own a specific digital object and it's proven forever that you own that object. And we should say, so it stands for non-fungible token and it's a kind yes. of one of a kind. And I I was using the term digital scarcity last year, which, it, and it's funny because you just said the value of digital and it's almost a generational thing. But think about it, both you and I have websites, right? They don't exist in the physical world, except for some bytes on a server somewhere. And yet they are the things that drive are businesses. And for people listening, a lot of indie authors make the vast majority of their income from ebook sales. Again, they don't like physically exist and yet they drive value. So I want people listening who are confused. Why does this have value? Well, why do all of these digital things have value, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I do think younger people in general tend to feel like digital things are more valuable than older people. Like I feel like older people, when they collect books, they want a, a real first edition, right? Because that supposedly is what have value. But I feel like younger people, they would almost prefer a digital first edition because then they can share it more widely and then they can um, brag about it online and it's easier to sell. Like somehow the digital version is actually more real than the physical version. And actually, the, another trend, I guess, is this what they're now calling the metaverse, which is a Neil Stevenson term, which encompasses augmented reality and virtual reality. And especially with the pandemic, there are these platforms that are being built now more where you might go to work within a uh, online platform. There are musicians doing uh, stuff on in gaming platforms like Roblox. And I almost feel like this is the beginning of people. Well, it's not the beginning. It's been going on for years with Second Life and things like that. But people buying digital art and objects like digital books to put in their virtual 
physical spaces that well that doesn't make sense in their virtual spaces in these virtual metaverses I know that that's that might be going a bit far but what do you think about that (laughs) no I mean I totally agree that's the trend and even you look at the video game market that is a gigantic market which dwarfs the, the movie industry and so many other industries and in that universe people are buying digital objects all the time right they're buying for for a hundred dollars they'll buy some sort of sword that allows their character to have more power or they'll buy some sort of amulet right and to them these things are real because they help them in the digital world i mean nfts are just an upscale version of that you're buying artwork instead of buying a sword for a video game but the principle is the same you're you're buying this digital object which has value to you so therefore it has value in the real world has value in real money and I agree with you I think gamers will will be finding this completely understandable like this is completely yeah okay I get that of course I'm going to pay for a sword in my virtual world that's just how it is so I think a lot of people are like I'm not a gamer and so it definitely took a bit for me to get my head around this but let's talk more about the specific benefits of NFTs and I guess the wider blockchain technology for authors this is not a gimmick is it I think a lot of people are going to use it as a gimmick, but I think that fundamentally it's not a gimmick. I think anytime new technology gets developed, people are trying to figure out how to use it. And so, yes, there's a lot of silly things that get created and sold. There's like people trying to sell their their tweets. Just, I don't know. I don't get that. I mean, <laughs> is tweet really going to have value? Uh, maybe if you were like the very first one to ever tweet and yeah, I think Jack, Jack Dorsey's, yeah, Jack Dorsey's is fine, but everyone else's, no. <laughs> exactly, right? Everybody else's is like, no, that does not have intrinsic value. But I feel like this is the way that technology works. When you first adapt to technology, people are trying to figure out how to use it. And eventually we're going to get past all this gimmicky stuff and get down to, okay, no, this really does have value. This really does change the landscape for writers. Mm. So what are the benefits of NFTs? Okay, I think there's two main benefits, one benefit right now and one benefit for the future. The benefit right now is that it opens up all kinds of possibilities for additional sales channels. So you can sell, say, 10 different versions of your book rather than just hardcover and softback. You can sell images of the cover. You can sell related artwork to the to your book. So instead of just being able to sell a book, you can sell the digital first copy, you can sell the video of the first time you read it, like you can sell so many things surrounding the book that you can do right now. Okay. Now, the benefit in the future, a secondary benefit is NFTs allow us to monetize the secondhand book market. So right now, you sell a book, and you never earn money on it again. That book could be sold 15 more times, go through used bookstores, be sold at swap meets, um, be you know given to another friend, and you never see another penny of that money. But the technology of NFTs allows us to, every time a book gets sold, every time a digital file of a book gets sold, the, the original writer could get 10 or 20 or 30% of that sale. And so you would continue to monetize every single time that your book gets sold. I think that's revolutionary, but the the platform for that and the technology for that doesn't exist yet, right? Like Amazon doesn't have that capability. There's no platform that allows us to do that yet. But in the future, 
I do think that's going to really change the way writers earn money. Mm. And this is in the smart contracts based on blockchain technology. And of course, NFTs are sold, uh, are put onto a blockchain and sold with blockchain technology. So this idea of, of this monetizing the secondhand market, I agree with you. I think it's incredible and opens up so much possibility. And if people, again, if people are wondering why, well, look at the uh, secondhand economy of, say, a leather bound limited edition, you know, first edition of a Dickens or whatever. The, these change hands for huge amounts of money. And that's, I think, what we're looking at. We're looking at, to, as you said, it's another format. It's, I have a mass market ebook, and then I also have maybe 10 NFT versions, each of which is original and can do other things with. So it, it expands the monetization of the core product. Yeah, that's exactly right. And your your other books, you can make them special by doing something different with the cover on each of the 10 special versions, you know, slight little tweaks so that someone feels like they're getting something unique. Or you could even do something where you would sell a version of your book with an additional chapter in the back or multiple different endings. Like you can create all sorts of variation for your hardcore fans and give them a product which is different than the mass market product that you're giving to everybody else. I think this mention of fans is really important and because the people who are doing very well with NFTs, it's very much a direct-to-fan experience, a direct-to-consumer experience where the musicians are creating things for those fans and it's the fans who are buying them. And I presume, like secondhand bookstores, we're going to get a layer of people who start acting as brokers of these types of things. But at the moment, it very much seems to foster fan interaction and and in creating these limited things that only a certain group of people will absolutely love. Yeah, I think that's the right model for how to go about creating an M- NFT. Like if you're thinking, hmm, I'd like to create an NFT, what you do is ask yourself, what would my fans really want? Right? Like what sort of product would they like and want to buy and want to own from me? That will get you going in the right direction. Because if you don't ask yourself that question, you're going to end up creating the gimmicky stuff, right? Like just trying to get somebody maybe who doesn't even know you buy something about your book because they hope, I don't know, it'll be valuable in the future. But that that's not the right direction. Like if you ask yourself, what does my fan want? That's going to get you to create stuff that's actually valuable. Mm. So let's just talk about some of the other things that people are doing. So you mentioned maybe art associated with the book, and I see some potential collaborations with visual artists, maybe musicians. You know, if you are going to work with an artist to create a map for your fantasy novel, maybe you could go together into creating an NFT for a limited edition of that art, which you've potentially sort of uh, paid for commissioned so uh, I guess something to say up front as well is if you're going to do visual stuff make sure your contract includes this type of thing yes yes there's a I mean if you're with a traditional publishing house you have to be wary of whether you're breaking your contract by creating nfts um we'll let the ip lawyer sort that stuff out but you're right that that's a, a thorny minefield but I do think there's all sorts of cool stuff you can make. Like I saw on Mintable, someone was selling, they had written a 64,000 word novel and they combined all the text into a single image. So it's just super, super, super small writing and they're selling that image. 
So they made their book into artwork, which I thought was really cool and not a lot of extra work, right? I mean, Mm. um, it's just creating an image from the text itself. And did they sell just one version of that or did they have, say, a limited run? Mm, I'm forgetting. I don't know. Yeah, I see a lot of people doing that limited run where they'll do, you know, five of them or 10 of them. So that way it's just not a selling one and done thing. Yeah, because, okay, so this is something I'm thinking of is because uh, also I talk about writing with AI on, on this show and there are, the tools are actually now available, like properly available to do this. And I'm thinking about writing a, a short story with an AI tool. So it'll be my first AI co-written or whatever you want to call it, a short story. And then I would also maybe make a video of how I made that with AI. And I was thinking, well, that could be, I could sell that as an NFT, the story with the video on how I did it, which would appeal to a certain group of people. And then I was wondering, well, would I only have one version of that? Or would I say sell 10 copies of that? What, What do you think? I mean, the Wu-Tang Clan is selling 36 copies of their upcoming book. That's it, right? So they're creating digital scarcity by saying there are only 36 digital copies of this that people can own. So I think it's actually a great idea to create digital scarcity and create something and say, hey, there's only 10 of these or there's only 50 of these. And then once you sell all those, then you can sell, I don't know, the plain version with a different cover or um, sell it and, I don't know, change it in some way. But I, it's interesting you talk about writing with that AI. Have you seen pseudo rights? Yes, that's what I'm That's what I'm using. Yeah, I joined uh, pseudo rights too, and I've been checking it out. And then there's also an, an LA Time or um, LA Review of Books. Someone wrote a story using pseudo rights. I think they said 17% of it was written with pseudo right. Yes, Um, exactly. So they are actually publishing these pieces now. I think that's what's empowered me to actually start using it is it's clearly moving into the acceptable realm in the same way that this technology is. Like I feel in 2020, when I started to talk about this, uh, a lot of what I've been talking about writing with AI for longer, but really it feels like, this year, things have started to click over into much more mainstream things, right? And and we should mention that we just saw last week, Publishing Perspectives reported that Bookwire announced a blockchain platform and an NFT marketplace for the publishing industry. And Bookwire are a German-based uh, technological company for publishers. And uh, they are based in, I think they're based in Frankfurt. So I suspect they will launch this at Frankfurt Book Fair, which means by the end of the year, by November 2021, there should be a platform that is publishing specific. I mean, that's crazy how fast it's going, right? Um, Mm. eBay just announced they are also going to allow people to sell NFTs. Um, that's so, just, and, and that made, but that makes so much sense in a way because eBay specializes in secondhand sales. Yeah, exactly. Right. The technology is perfect for it. It is. I, ne- I never thought of eBay as a digital platform as obviously it's digital, but I, I kind of think of it as selling physical goods. So that they're, they're very much changing their brand with that idea. I think so. But I think it's the, the right move because they're seeing this is a huge additional market, like just as big as the physical objects market. 
Yes. And this is what we're seeing people listening. When big companies <laughs> start doing this, uh, it becomes a bit more interesting, I think. And let's be honest, I feel sometimes I'm a little bit ahead of the literary industry, as of course you are in, in, in this case, but we are way behind the art industry and the music industry in this, right? They've been doing this for a while. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that's why NFTs blew up first with artwork, right? It's really easy to sell digital artwork and, and people are used to being like, of course, like now I can own this digital artwork and actually prove it, you know, not just see it, not just like see a copy of it, but actually prove that I own this artwork. And when you, if you Google like NFTs on Instagram or something, it is all original artwork, you know, books aren't quite into the mainstream part of it, but I think they will be in the future. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's just uh, think of some other things that people could do. So I was also thinking of, I do a lot of handwritten notes and, and research when I'm researching my books. And I was thinking, well, maybe I could include images of my handwritten notes, like a different one within each limited edition version. So that would be a way of separating out the specific limited editions. That, that's one idea. The other thing might be the link to real events. So I think one of the musicians was doing this. They were, who was it? Uh, Radiohead, I think. We're doing an NFT for their music, but also you got a ticket for the event as part of the NFT. And Gary Vaynerchuk is also doing this, is selling these digital collectible cards with a token to one of his events. So what are some of these other things that, that we can do or which ones are you particularly interested in? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful idea to pair up digital files with something in the physical universe or some sort of meeting or something like that. You know, like if you're a, a mid-list author, it could be, oh, buy this special NFT and then you can have a 30-minute consult with me. I don't know, about your book or, or just talk to me about my book, you know, something like that. Or, or you could even mail them a physical object to go along with the digital object, like a special signed copy of the book. And that's like a bonus for, have, for owning the digital special version. You could do some sort of exclusive video file of the first time you read the book. Uh, I see a lot of people who they have multiple versions of their covers, their cover art that they didn't end up using, you know, their mm -hmm. artists gave them three different versions and they chose one of them. Well, you could sell those other versions as like limited edition cover art. Yeah, there's, there's so many possibilities. Yeah, it's funny. And this is where we are now, as in you and I have been looking at this for not that long, really. And, and we're coming up with all these ideas and, and people listening. I think the other great thing about the author community is everyone's very creative in lots of other ways. So someone listening might already be a cartoonist, for example, and then that might be an obvious pairing to your book, might be some hand-drawn stuff. Or I, I, I just think the we haven't even scratch the surface of what's possible I think we'll, we're gonna people will come up with a, a lot more things over time but one interesting thing that I only just discovered before this and obviously I, just, I shot you an email so we, we only just found out this guy called uh, Aaron Haber who is the non-fungible fictionist where essentially he's using the NFT as crowdfunding in that the writing begins when the NFT is purchased and not before and I was like really? Okay. I thought you had to create it and then do an NFT, but what do you think about this doing it in advance? So I guess my question is what, like, 
what about what he's doing can't be done with say PayPal or a crowdfunding source, you know, like what specifically about it requires an NFT? Like I could ask somebody like, okay, pay me a hundred dollars on PayPal. And then I will write you an original short story. Is it just the fact that the NFT allows him to own that digital short story after you write it? Is that the advantage of it? Well, and again, resell it, be part of the resale market. And I I see this guy as almost, um, we don't know where this stuff is going to go. So it's almost a risk. So for example, with me talking about a short story that I might write, what is there? It's a bit of a risk if I say it's only available as an NFT. I won't publish it elsewhere because obviously that cuts out a whole market that I won't be able to reach in exchange for the risk and potentially the reward of having it on a platform where I could get downstream revenue and all of that type of thing. So I I would just see him taking a risk on this. Plus, it's interesting creatively. He says, the work is meant to encapsulate one writer's creative moment in time and space. Writer retains all IP rights to characters or writing for future use outside the the NFT space. And uh, there are no edits or revisions. The piece is the piece. So it feels like almost a creative challenge. Yeah, I think he says like, look, if I'm having a bad day, this could turn out really badly. Like I make no (laughs) promises in terms of quality, which I think is kind of awesome because you really are buying a slice of like his creative energy at a certain point in time. And that can be hit or miss as, you know, writers well know. Hmm. No, it is. It's it's very interesting. So let's, uh, obviously, we're very enthusiastic about this. Uh, People know I'm a techno optimist, and I'm always just getting very excited about it. But um, what are some of the dangers or issues or negative sides of NFTs? I mean, the main danger is just making sure you don't take advantage of the trend to, I don't know, create junk or create gimmicky stuff, right? You have to really make sure is this something my fans actually want? Is this something that actually has value and is cool and people will like? So yeah, I think that's a danger. I think another danger, a lot of people talk about how NFTs are like a bubble, you know, like they are, they're fad. This is going to go away in a year or so. I really don't think so. (laughs) I think that, um, I think, yes, there's a lot of volatility, right? This NFTs are going to soar, they're going to plunge, they're going to soar again, they're going to plunge again. But I think with blockchain technology, what we've seen is, yes, there's a soar and a plunge, but then it goes back up again. Like there's continued effort and insight and value to this. So the volatility of NFTs NFTs don't bother me because I feel like long term, these are going to help writers in a lot of different ways. These are going to last. I think one of the other issues that people bring up is this environmental issue. Can you address that? Okay. I I think that's a value. I think that's a, an important concern, but I don't see it as a problem because the technology is changing so quickly. For instance, Ethereum uses um, 10 times less energy than Bitcoin. And then when you go to a new coin, like something like Dogecoin or XRP or something, those are 600 times more efficient than Ethereum. And so eBay, the, the way that they're doing their, um, their new blockchain offerings, the NFTs, they're going to use a system called WAX. WAX is 125,000 times more energy efficient than Ethereum. So mm. like the technology is changing so quickly. Yes, like old school 
old school cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, yes, it's very inefficient. But guess what? We have all of these new versions, which are by scale of magnitude, so much more energy efficient. And it's because the technology is, is just changing. So I don't think as a long-term issue, energy is going to be a problem. We already have the technology to be extremely energy efficient with all those cryptocurrencies and NFTs, and it's going to change really quickly. Yeah, that's exactly what I said about six weeks ago. I was like, I really can't see that this isn't going to go away. And uh, we also were looking at OpenSea, which is one of the places where you can create NFTs. And they have this thing called lazy minting, where essentially you can upload your stuff but the NFT is only minted to the blockchain, which means you only do something. You It only takes some action when they are bought or sent to another wallet. So, and I was thinking this is very much like the millions of books which are loaded up to Amazon, but may never get bought. So there is never a digital transaction. And to me, this kind of lazy minting actually makes it even greener because millions of people could create the NFTs, but nothing will be impacted until they're actually transacted. Yeah, yeah, it's it's smart and they're continually changing and adapting. Even since I first wrote my article, they've abolished the the gas fees that it takes money to actually mint stuff and they've said no, you don't have to pay that anymore. So stuff is changing so quickly. OpenSea is really a leader in the field and if people don't know how to create NFTs like you would start by going to OpenSea creating an Ethereum wallet. And I created a store in less than 10 minutes. It wasn't very hard at all. And you can sell, start selling copies of your book or digital files or something. Mm. Uh, and OpenSea is O-P-E-N-S-E-A for people. And we'll put, obviously, all the links will be in the show notes because, we again, it's like other language. Whenever anyone comes into self-publishing, there's all this language we use. And I feel like this this space is a whole nother language that people have to learn. <laughs> Like even, you know, blockchain and NFT and uh, minting and gas fees. And these are all other things. But as with self-publishing, as with writing, once you learn what these words mean, you are empowered. And that's kind of our goal, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, if you go to OpenSea, they walk you through the process. Like you don't have to have any knowledge beforehand of, I don't know how to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything like that. They make it very easy, like click here. All right, now do this, now do this. So they really are working at getting people to understand it and make it easy on anybody who joins to sell NFTs. So, I mean, seriously, try it out. Even the most horrific technophobe out there will find this pretty simple to set up. Mm, but as we said, don't just go on there and chuck something up. You do have to have a think about it. I think that's another thing. If you don't have an audience, it's just like putting up a Kickstarter or putting up a book. No one's going to know about it. Uh, we're already, I mean, there is, we're still in an early space for, for books, but there's also not the rabid audience for books like there is for music and art. But what are some of the other platforms that people might want to go and have a look at to just see what's going on? Oh goodness, every time I Google this, I feel like there's another another few. I just I was just looking up platforms the other day and like there's like 10 and like seven of them I haven't even heard of. So <laughs> <laughs> and and who knows how many of those are going to survive as well, you know? So OpenSea is the one I would recommend people check out. I the others uh, I'm not even sure. Which which ones have you tried out? 
I was just before this, I was looking at Nifty Gateway, which I think is one of the old one, uh, older ones. Also super rare, I think is interesting. And, and there's also a difference between the ones that have uh, sort of closed environments where only established Cre- NFT creators can do their drops, as they're called. Other places are rareable, I think, was is another one. But yeah. it's worth going and having a look. But one of the things you said there about we don't even know which ones will last, this is interesting. So let's say we do an NFT on OpenSea, for example. And I think that is on Ethereum, isn't it? Yeah. It's on Ethereum, okay, but it's through the OpenSea platform. So if OpenSea ceases to exist in the future, will the person who bought the NFT be able to resell it through another platform because it's on Ethereum? So it gets a little dicey there with the technology. I think if OpenSea, say, collapsed or any platform collapsed, I think the link they would click on to like see the record of their digital file, I don't think that link would work but it would still be recorded in the blockchain. So you would have to find a way to find where it was in the blockchain, maybe using a a different platform or something. And yes, you could resell that elsewhere, but the technology still, it's in its infancy. It's a little dicey still, but it won't be erased if that company goes under. It's in the blockchain and it'll last forever. Well, as long as the blockchain exists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it will be a bit like I can go to the Wayback Machine and find, I can find my what my website looked like in December 2008. And my website does not look like that anymore. But right. uh, Wayback Machine saves versions of things over time. So yeah, you can't, and, and we've seen classic lots of things of people tweeting something a decade ago and now it comes back to haunt them. So you can't delete this stuff <laughs> even <laughs> even with current current things i did want to say one of the big things that i am concerned about with publishing contracts is this clause which is being used in a lot of contracts right now which is all formats existing now and to be created for the life of copyright and many authors listening if you've signed a traditional publishing contract that may well have been in your contract. And that means you cannot do an NFT because I think in in terms of my definition, this would be a newly created format. What do you think? Yeah, that gets thorny. I think in the future, I think agents will be negotiating NFT actual clauses in the contracts with publishers, right? Going forward, because that's now a thing. But you're right, a big blanket statement like that, all formats existing now and in the future. Oh, man. That gives a lot of power to publishers. Um, that, is a, that is a normal clause now. <laughs> I know. I know. And publishers are smart to put it in, right? They saw technology is evolving so quickly. We got we to gotta cover ourselves. Mm. So I understand why it's in there. It's definitely not, you know, definitely not for the writers. But I think that there are, if you create something new, like say you created a series of playing cards based on your your book. I wonder whether that would be covered under that clause because is that a for- that's not really a format of the book. Mm. Yeah, but then yeah, then you would but some contracts you know will cover the world of the story for example, the characters. Exactly. So basically the what we're saying here everyone is be very very careful what you sign because even 6 months ago this might not have come up. I have been talking about this clause in publishing contracts for a while, but I didn't expect this to come up. (laughs) 
you know, I didn't actually expect another format to appear so quickly. And who knows what we're going to be doing once we do have more developed metaverse things. I mean, I don't even know where that's going to go right now, but I would imagine that there will be different formats that will exist within a metaverse, within a virtual reality setting, for example. But I wanted to ask you about the, the even NFTs. Do you think we'll keep calling them NFTs? I almost feel like this term is just so bad and that will we just be calling them digital collectibles or, you know, how will we call them that, do you think? Oh, I think that's a terrible term. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's such like a fancy pants, like techno name. I mean, yes, we're going to figure out something more colloquial to call it once it goes more mainstream. I don't know what that is, but uh, yeah, NFTs is ugly, but, <laughs> but yeah, we'll call we'll end up calling it something, I don't know, di- di- digital something, but I think in the future, I think in the future, once we start calling it something more common, you know, Amazon's going to incorporate NFTs. So when you upload your book to Amazon, if you're self-publishing or something, creating an NFT could be as easy as pushing a few buttons and being like, yes, I want to sell a limited edition of this version of my book cover, sell 10 of them or 50 of them. So I do think there's going to be incorporation by the mainstream players sooner rather than later. You know, I mean, if eBay is already jumping into it, Amazon's going to be maybe a couple of years behind, but it's not going to take that long. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. If you go to Amazon AWS, you can use the AWS and to build a blockchain, your own blockchain. So Amazon's already got the technology. It's just in terms of Amazon KDP is what we're talking about. Like when would it right. be incorporated? But I talked obviously on my last show about blockchain in terms of how it could help stop plagiarism and piracy and will actually help us help authors with intellectual property management. So yeah, I would really hope that's coming. I did want to ask you what you think about the whole cryptocurrency situation too, because obviously you, you you talked about old school crypto being things like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum is, is getting older as well now. And then what we're also seeing is countries now looking at doing digital currencies. So China is obviously ahead. The UK is looking at Britcoin, which I really like. Um. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that is just perfect. And we've got a um, much younger chancellor who is looking at this. Uh, the EU are talking about doing it in the next few years. Obviously, the US is looking at things. So do you think that what we're going to be seeing maybe by 2025 is that people will just be interacting with these digital limited editions with a digital version of their own currency as opposed to say uh ether or bitcoin that is a fantastic question (laughs) (laughs) uh gosh i am i'm just not sure um i I, I didn't prepare you for that one i know it's just something i was thinking about (laughs) it's something i actually have been thinking about so i'm glad you asked it uh it's hard to tell where it's going to go i think if all of these countries create their own national version of digital currency, that's got to take a bite out of Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these decentralized ones. But will it kill them? I don't think so, because there's so many advantages to a digital currency that can't be manipulated, right? We're seeing this huge soar up in, in, in Bitcoin and whatnot, because all of the countries are just minting their own money, right? They're driving up inflation. They're creating out of nothing, 25% more money in their economy. Now, 
So people turn to Bitcoin because they want something that can't be manipulated. Bitcoin has a, a limited amount of Bitcoins that will ever be minted. I think it's 21 million, right? So there's never some country going to be able to come in and be like, well, guess what? Now there's going to be 35 million Bitcoins. You know, there's never going to be that type of inflation with Bitcoin. So it gives you an option where you can have money that's not manipulated by a country. And that's the value that country-based money can never rival. Plus, it gives you the option like, say you're in a type of country where there's political instability, there's government instability. If your money is tied to their currency, you're in some deep doo-doo if that country suddenly decides you're an enemy of the state. So all these decentralized currencies that no specific country controls gives you a lot of power to go anywhere, to trade with anyone on the same currency that can't be controlled by a certain country. Yeah, but it's funny though, you say it can't be manipulated. We've seen Dogecoin go up and down on a tweet from Elon Musk. So <laughs> I actually think it is being manipulated by a group of, let's call them tech bros, <laughs> Uh, who are able to change things a lot more. So I don't see it as any more stable than the way country currencies change. And there's some really interesting books on money. I think what is very clear, we, we don't have time to go into the ethics of crypto and, and what's happening with it. But what is clear is in the next decade, we're going to see a lot more currencies built on blockchain, whether they're country or whatever specific, and that trust trust in the token of the US dollar or the token of Bitcoin or whatever, the trust is going to be the thing that makes a difference. And But regardless of what happens, we'll be using something to buy and sell NFTs, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say that, I mean, I agree with you that, yes, they're obviously being manipulated because we're at this frenzy. We're at this froth of you know, cryptocurrencies right now. So yeah, Elon Musk can tweet something and it radically affects stuff. But that's just because these are in their infancy and they're so volatile right now. I think five years from now, 10 years from now, there's going to be a broader swath of people who own them, perhaps fewer whales out there who have the ability to completely tank a single currency. So I feel like over time, it's going to even out and be less manipulatable by Elon Musk or other big time people in the public sphere. And to be honest, one of the reasons I want to do NFTs is I want to earn cryptocurrency instead of buying it with my mm. fiat. And I figure if I can earn some, I'll feel happier because I haven't, you know, I, I just feel like it, it, I want to earn it and it will be interesting how that turns out. <laughs> so watch <Back> this space. <laughs> You know, I hear you. Back in 2018, someone volunteered to pay me in Bitcoin to edit their short story. And I'm like, uh, all right, man, I sure wish that could have, should have actually gone through because that I could have earned, you know, $20,000. Oh, did, you, did, you, did you get it? Did you it get didn't it? happen. He never ended up paying me. It fell through. But it's like, oh, man, that would have been the most lucrative short story editing I'd ever done in my life. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yes, well, um, we, we can put it out there on, on this show. Either one of us are interested in being paid in cryptocurrency for things, because I feel like this is a good way to get the currency as opposed to trying to buy it with my fiat money, uh, which I'd yeah. rather put in really boring investments. <laughs> I agree with you. I tend to be more risk adverse, you know. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Boring stocks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So as we come to the end here, I did want to circle back right at the beginning. You talked about starting blogging in 2006. So you and I started in 2008. So you started before me and you've been going a long time and you've built a business based on a blog. And now we're talking about these future things. And this is something I think about all the time. What do you do when you're a mature business like we have and these technologies are changing so fast? How are you thinking about your business for the next decade in terms of what's changing? Oh, gosh, I feel like it's very important to be an early adopter. Obviously, we were both early adopters of the technology of blogging, and that's really paid off for us, you know. So now what's the next thing that we need to be an early adopter of? I mean, you're doing a great job with your podcast to get your audio out there. I think that's awesome. What other sort of social media channels can we jump on and and take advantage of? I haven't seen people really take advantage of, of say, TikTok or a social media platform like that in the book space because it's so visually based and not like text based at all. But yeah, I'm sure there's going to be authors who really take advantage of that. So I think the question is, and if, if you're an author out there, you need to ask yourself, like, what can I get in? at the very foundation of what can I be an early adopter of? Cause that's, what's going to pay off for you in terms of gaining an audience, in terms of making your mark. That's the right like marketing strategy for you is to figure out what's new. What can I jump on? That's going to expand in the future. Mm, and are you looking at switching your business model in any way? I mean, I don't think editing is going to go away, but it's interesting that you're still blogging and writing articles when I I almost feel my blog posts now are audio first, basically. Mm. And then the text is, well, I, I prepare the text and then create the audio or create the audio and then create the text. So they're always both of them. But do you see yourself changing your business model? I am. I'm constantly figuring out how to change my business model. The big switch for me over the last two years that I've been trying to make is to move away from editing. And I've largely stopped editing. I do I do editing on the side now and trying to move more toward a course model, toward a video model, right? I mean, that's where I see the future of my business is all video. So I keep on working on creating courses. I'd like to have a more active YouTube channel. It just takes a lot to create video, a lot of energy, a lot of equipment, a lot of editing, but that's the direction of where my business is going, right? Text is cheap and we've seen really big companies wade in and just write blog posts for any, every single keyword imaginable for blogs, right? So nowadays, if you try to start blogging, I feel it'd be so hard to get traction in the writing universe because there's a gigantic website out there that is already written on the exact topic you're trying to write about. Mm. So you have to figure out, okay, what's the new space that big companies haven't waded into yet that I can actually create or carve out a space of my own. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. So tell people about your courses and your website and everything they can find and where you are online. Yeah, I'm at thejohnfox.com or if you just Google book fox, you'll find me. And I have a whole bunch of courses for writers, whatever stage of writing that you're at. You know, if you need to work on your writing habits, I have a course on mastering your writing time. If you want to work on something specific, like how to write better sentences, you know, I hear sentences are important for writers. So I have a whole course talking about that. I'm working on uh, how to write a novel course right now, and then how to revise a novel course. That's the next course I have coming out. And then I have a course on how to market your book as well. So basically at every stage of your writing journey, I'm trying to create courses that are going to help you get to the next stage. 
Mm, what about an NFTs for authors course? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, not quite there yet, but I think that'd be I think that'd be fascinating, right? Teach them how to do it. I also think it'd be great if someone had a service where they said, Oh, like you want to create an NFT, I'll guide you through the process of how to do that for your book. Yes. So we can we are predicting here the whole ecosystem like we have right now on how to do all these things. And that is definitely going to come. Although I feel like it's a bit like, you know, Mark Dawson is a great friend of mine and the ads for authors course, but they have to keep recording those because everything Facebook keeps changing and the, the dashboards keep changing. It would be the same for NFTs. It's like every few weeks you have to update the course because there's so many different things coming up. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Like <laughs> The joy of building a course is like you build it once and then it's like the last for a few years. If you're changing it every week, that's, oh, that's a lot of work. That is difficult. But I do think that once Bookwire launch, I think there will be an ecosystem helping people do this. Although personally, I'm just interested in creating some myself. And I should ask you there, John, I mean, you've done short stories. Are you going to do your own NFTs? Yeah, I mean, I built that I built that thing on OpenSea. I haven't minted any yet just because there's actually some gas taxes you still have to use to inaugurate your account. So I was going to sell it for like $100, my first digital edition of my uh, short story collection. And then they want to charge me $130 for the gas tax. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> but yeah, I have another book for writers. I have a book for specifically for writers, The Lynchpin Writer, and that's coming out later this year. And absolutely, I'm going to do some NFTs for that and figure out how I can help ardent fans of the book buy into the book more and get some extra goodies. Fantastic. Well, you'll definitely have to come back and we will talk about this again because this is not, this is going to change a lot between now and say post Frankfurt. So I will look forward to talking to you again. So thanks so much for your time, John. That was great. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with John today and that it has opened your mind to the possibilities of NFTs and what could be possible in the next few years. We are intending to do another NFT show toward the end of the year, by which time one or both of us might have done a drop, as they call it. And also the Bookwire platform that we mentioned will hopefully be out and uh, we should have an update. I would love to hear your comments about uh, whether I should go ahead with my idea for an NFT or what you might do uh, with your idea. So leave a comment on the episode or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com or tweet me at thecreativepen. And in the meantime, if you'd like to check out John's courses, you can use my link and support the show at thecreativepen.com forward slash bookfox. We also mentioned AI writing tool Pseudowrite, which we are both playing with. And I have an interview coming with Armit Gupta either next week or the week after. And he's the founder of Pseudowrite. And it is really interesting. I'm loving the tool. And uh, yeah, very excited. It's so funny at the moment. I feel like all the things that have been coming towards us for so long are sort of all happening this year much, much faster than perhaps I would have expected. So next Monday on the usual show, I'm talking to Jessica Bell about her journey as a multi-passionate creative and running a small press and how writing song lyrics, fiction, memoir and non-fiction all play a part in her author life, as well as the challenges of working with authors and running a small press. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. 
You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.